The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai kia the fold e mihine ko tangan grey tokunga. My guest this week is someone who'll be familiar to you and who's extremely familiar to me. Uh, his name is Toby Morris, and he is the creative director at the spinoff, um, a huge part of of what we do, and basically a national treasure. It's a corny thing to say. I just don't think you can really dispute it with him. He practices a, something which which he calls on in this conversation comics journalism, and I think it's one of the most impactful forms of any kind of journalism that you you see anywhere, and and that combination of really deftly assembled words and beautifully uh, resonant imagery and and kind of elements of animation that he's really made his own through the side eye is. You know, every every time we sort of make it, and I I have some proximity to kind of editing these things, you just marvel at the process of creation, and then watching the way that it um, that it hits people on the way out. Um, and if that were all Toby Morris did, that would be a huge amount. It's not though. Uh, you know, his his collaboration with uh, Susie Wiles uh, last year went viral in a way that few things do. You know, it, it was it was viewed millions and millions of times. It was released under Creative Commons, so it was picked up by, you know, the national governments of Argentina and Germany and Scotland and Czechoslovakia and eventually the World Health Organization and ultimately we just the, the sheer strain of um working with these the various organizations that wanted access to Toby and Susie's collaboration meant that we had to set up a whole separate business called Daylight Creative, which, uh, you know, Toby now works um, with some, in some of the time. It's a, a sort of a content studio that sits alongside the spinoff. So we talk a bit about that, but also about just how long it took uh, Toby to to crack this like about how hard it is when you have a you're trying to do something new and different and you're pitching it and over and over and over people can't see it and you know I think he's now gone from someone who was desperate to try and make this new thing working in advertising and and giving it a crack once a year to someone who you know, if you could clone him 10 times, you still could never address the total demand for what, what Toby Morris creates. The irony is, though, that that the thing that we start talking about is Dad Man Walking, which is his new book about the experience of fatherhood, both his own and those of other people. And, you know, full disclosure, I, I'm one of those other people and make a brief appearance in it. It's a really, really special book put out by Penguin and you know, I would suggest that you buy it from Unity Books if you can and support our local bookselling industry. And, you know, books are sort of, you know, as we discuss, a bit uh, of an 
you know, they, they take a huge amount of time and they won't compensate you for that time in the way that other work might. And yet we still do them and we still love them. We talk a bit about that. Uh, so we get through a lot. It's it's a really fun conversation. Toby is one of the smartest, most generous, uh, most creative and driven people I know. And it's an absolute pleasure to work with him. And hopefully it's a pleasure to listen to this. Before we get into it, I've got some extremely cool news in that Vodafone are returning to sponsor another season of The Fold. Uh, it's weirdly validating uh, to, to have them back. The, uh, the you know, podcast just, just sound a bit more proper when they've, they've got a sponsor. Um, so I'm really, really pleased about that. It's also super legit. Uh, you know, the spinoff runs on Vodafone network technology and, you know, we, we as a business really rely on them. So if you are running a business and want a, a reliable internet provider, and you definitely do, uh, then go to vodafone.co.nz to check it out. Uh, and yeah, huge, huge thanks to, to Vodafone for coming on board for another season of The Fault. Tanakwe, uh, Toby Morris, and welcome to The Fault. Yeah, cheers, man. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um I want to start by asking you, well, you just had quite a, a strange experience, which is releasing a book that you'd worked on for many years and, and really crafted uh, during a period when books were banned, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Yeah, not, that, not, not, not ideal. Um, yeah, it was a funny experience. It was made sort of probably more so by the fact that we had already delayed the book by a year. Uh, the book was supposed to come out in August last year, uh, but sort of March, March, April, we made the call to, to push it by a year. Um, so it was even more frustrating to, to sort of wait all this time for it to come out and then it finally comes out and, and nobody can actually buy it. Yeah, very, very annoying. I mean, in a way, there's a sort of a, there's a funny feeling when you put out a book anyway, that you're sort of, you know, you're sort of sending it out into the world and to, to see what happens. And there's a, just a part of that feeling that's a little bit sort of futile anyway, that you're kind of like, well, let's just see what happens and you send it out into the world. So this was sort of extra, even more so this time was kind of like, yeah, work on it all this time and say, here you go to the world and and nobody can see it yet. But the thing is, it's, it's, it is it's starting to sort of dribble into into shops now. It seems like it's mostly in shops now, and you know, in a presumably in a few weeks' time, we'll be able to actually walk into a bookshop and see it on the shelf. It's kind of because books are on some level, and this isn't entirely true, but it's kind of uh, it's true of a reasonable number of books published in New Zealand. They're not an economically rational thing for basically anyone in, in the transaction. They're these real labors of love. And to have, and a huge part of that on some level is waiting for that moment. And the fact that the moment happened on Zoom when it was kind of literally illegal to, to sell it, that's, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, selling books is a, is a, is a sort of economically tricky proposition in New Zealand at the best of times. And I really feel for the publishers and stuff over the, over this time and the, the bookshops too. I don't imagine they make, make massive amounts of money, you know, and to be, to be closed over that time. It seems, it's just a frustrating thing. And it's so, I think it's probably representative of, of lots of the, the sort of the puzzle of, of working out how to, respond to a pandemic is you have to draw the line somewhere like so there's going to be a line somewhere of 
on this side is essential items and on this side is stuff that is you, you can't buy in level four. Um, but yeah, it was frustrating to have books be on, on that side of the, the line. Especially when I don't think it would be, compared to say operating a kitchen or something, I don't think it would be a particularly risky business to, to, to operate in terms of handling in the amount of staff that you need and that kind of thing. No, I felt like uh, Nicola Leggett, who uh, wrote a piece for us about it, kind of captured some of that that frustration. But um, but as you say, it's it's starting to come out now. So let's focus on the book itself, which sure. I I bought from Unity Books, and I recommend you do the same. Um, and what I love about it is it's it's sneakily quite uh, innov- I don't know if innovative is the word, but it's certainly like. It's it's not a, a conventional straight through narrative. It sort of patchworks its way to its intention through a lot of kind of small and large uh, insights, and it's partly your whānau and it's partly those of of other people that you've spoken to. T- tell me what what Dead Man Walking is about and why it exists. Sure, I mean it's a um, it's a it's a funny book in a way because it comes from from a sort of a, a, a brief that could potentially be really quite boring I think like to me the idea of making a book about fatherhood or making a book about my experiences of, of fatherhood isn't wasn't an idea that that immediately jumped out at me as being super exciting I, I've done a book previously called don't puke on your dad that was a sort of a diary of my first year of parenting which you know at the time I was wrapped up and that was was tremendously exciting and and felt like the entire world was my experience of parenting at that time but as I you know to to sort of go back and repeat that book again wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing to me but what what made it more interesting I think to me was to to make it a broader picture than just my than just my experiences um you know coming from the sort of world of comics journalism that I do I felt more interesting to interview a range of different people and to 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 try and capture a range of different experiences in there um I mean it's not necessarily presented in a in a straight kind of journalism kind of way, it's these snippets, like you say, it's just sort of anecdotes or or little pieces of little pieces of people's stories, all kind of patchwork together. Um, but yeah, what I was trying to do, I guess, was was in a way was try and paint a picture of fatherhood in 2020, 2021 in a um, in all its sort of broadness and diversity, not just my experience, I guess. Yeah, you're you're someone who is. You know, I mean, we're obviously <laughs> colleagues, uh, and you're a busy guy. You know, and the this book is clearly a labour of love. There's a, there's a huge amount of of work work in, in it, and you know, down to the the way that you've swept the sort of interior and and uh, the interior cover and exterior of the cover kind of thing, like. Um, and and as we referred to before, the economics of books are. You know, there, there's there's an irrationality there, which is really quite um, you know, in in times that kind of seem to drive you towards maximizing your kind of financial return on your hours. There's something mm. quite enjoyable about breaking from that in some respects. Yeah, what what was it that motivated you to do it, knowing that you know, as well as writing about being your dad, you're actually also being a dad and being a yeah. very busy person as well. Yeah, it's funny that that I, I mean, there's still something special about books. Like I love I love working online and and 
primarily I would think of myself as a sort of a, a digital creator, you know, like I work for the spin-off, which is entirely, you know, an online publication and the comics I make can only really exist online. They can't, can't even really be put in books that easily with the sort of animation elements that I do. Um, and, and just the way that they're built for sharing and all that kind of thing. Like, so, so I definitely think of myself as a, as a digital first kind of, creator but i there's still something really special about books and and even though they're not going that that the reality is i'm not going to make a fortune off making off making a book but there's something in terms of um looking back at a time and and, and sort of looking back over a career that that um just that tangible object that you can hold in your hand and and have as something solid is is different to having an article that you know has still exists online all all of my bits and pieces are still floating around online but but it's different to looking at the bookshelf and saying i made that which is quite a satisfying satisfying experience shifting tack a bit and and sort of in some ways looking back to your your path there when did you um start to think about because i i know that you've been into comics you know essentially your whole whole life but you've you've carved the niche with you know like as you said before comics based journalism to trying to tell true stories through through a medium which is largely associated with fictional stories if not kind of fantastical ones mm. when, when did you start down that that path the big lightning bolt moment for me would have been when i was a student i think i was probably in first year or second year and i discovered joe sacco's work um, he had done his first book had just come out then, uh, a book called Palestine, where he went and spent it's a long time. I think he was there maybe for a year or something, living with families and and, and uh, sort of experiencing life in in that part of the world, and then put together this incredible book um, detailing that. And it's a it's a sort of a both a very factual and, and informative book, but also a very emotional and, and personal and kind of emotive book as well. And the way that he could use comics to bring those two things together was just felt like a, was a real sort of lightning bolt moment for me that that's, that's what I could do too. Cause I was into comics. I made fictional comics from when I was about 13. I think I published my first one and was sort of self publishing bits and selling them in the comic shops. Um, all through my teenage years, but I was also interested in politics and interested in, in, in the way the world works. And all of a sudden to see this way that I could sort of marry those two things together was, was super exciting. Was the, the pencil sword the first kind of major? Cause I think, you know, you're, you're quite strongly associated with the spinoff now and with, with the side eye, but the pencil, pencil sword was hugely Im- impactful and felt you know, like a lot of, is a bit of an origin story for a lot of what you're doing. Do you, was that way where this kind of began for you, especially the sort of online elements of it? Yeah, that was certainly the first kind of regular gig that I had doing it. It was a, there's about a ten year gap between me me first trying it and actually getting that getting that opportunity to to be published regularly. And in the in in between, then there's I did three or four different comics for for small magazines. I did one for Salient when I first started. The first one I ever did was for Salient when I was still at university, um, and it was an article about the Datsuns breaking into the UK and becoming massive, which is sort of dates it very specifically to about two. 2001 uh and uh q magazine which you know at the time was like those english music magazines were massive and very influential um, that's the q, top of the tree back then yeah that's huge yeah q magazine picked it up and ran it and it really felt like i felt like oh, i'm onto something here this is like a um there's something there's something really good 
and something with a lot of potential here. And then basically after that, for the next kind of 10 years or so, every once a year or so, I would get this burst of energy and fire off a bunch of emails to different publications saying, hey, you should give me a go. I've got this idea of doing doing comics journalism. Um to to total crickets until yeah until I got that chance with pencil sword in in, in the wireless. Why why is it so hard? Like uh, I sort of you know obviously there there is you know there's something about journalism which which kind of lends itself to doing you know as much as there is a lot of room for creativity and you know, sometimes I don't think that we exercise it as much as we could and even though as soon as you see something like the pencil sword or or, or the side eye. Uh, you you know you can see the impact of it. It, it, it would out, outperform anything else we do on an average basis, and yet it always feels hard. Yeah, it's a, it's just doing something different, I think, and especially before I had done it, and I didn't really have anything to 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 prove what I was talking about, or I had very limited, you know, this one story basically that I had done. Or I can see why it was a hard sell to 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 take this sort of unknown person so totally untested to do this thing that no one's ever really run in New Zealand like it's completely outside the box the other thing that I look back on now and realize is a big stretch is that it was going to take up a lot of room in, in, in print in a different way than it than it does online like I was picture, I would send an email to I don't know Metro or North and South or the listener or the Herald or whatever and say I need six pages of the weekend magazine or I need you know eight pages of, of Metro please and and for this person sort of cold calling off the street to, to come in and say hi I'm new I need eight pages is uh, for, for something that's totally untested and something completely different I can see as a stretch but yeah I think people aren't necessarily good. I think we do have quite a narrow um, vision of what a what an article looks like. I think there there's so many d- different ways that it, that an article can be presented with more of a sort of a visual focus, or or I'd love to see more photo essays even be 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 run in in print media, for example, um, where I think we sort of because we employ lots of writers, we we run lots of writers, you know, and that's just the way the it's just the way it works. It's what what the product has looked like forever and. People, it's hard to get people to imagine outside of that, I think. Yeah, I think there's also something where because editors tend to be former writers and because the economics of the news industry have gotten a lot harder lately, you know, the anything which feels like it's a lift or outside of that lane, you know, typing's Ooh. relatively cheap um, versus shooting or drawing that you tend yeah. to sort of to the safety of that but um, certainly our experience has been that the work of illustrators and 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 you know lately since Huckawell has started mm. of, of you know data journalism has is hugely impactful and I think it's something our, our whole industry could talk from we're just gonna could learn from sorry we're just gonna take a very quick break and then return with more from Toby Morris the Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto. Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today.
We're back now with uh, Toby Morris, and I wanted to talk now about another piece of your work, which you know you, you've probably talked a lot about, but I still think the story of it is quite instructive in terms of what we were talking about before the 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 power of imagery or, or you know a journalism that straddles different um, mediums to to really communicate an idea, and that's. The, your collaboration with uh, Dr. Susie Wiles. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just tell me about how that came about and, you know, why why you think it had the impact it had? Sure. I mean, that's the, the, the story of the short version of the story is basically that, that Susie had been writing for, for spinoff, obviously, in the, in the lead up to, 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 to COVID. Um, she'd been writing about what was happening in China and this, this mysterious virus. And, um, I had been reading all of that stuff with great interest and following it, as had many people. And as we sort of came into sort of March, April, it was almost daily becoming more obvious this was, this was going to be a massive deal. Um, I think we had already moved to working from home. This is sort of pre the alert levels coming out, but 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 becoming increasingly clear that something you know some sort of lockdown or something was going to going to happen. But but yeah, Spinoff had already moved to, to working from from the studio, um, from working from home. Uh, Toby Manhoe called me up one day and said, "Susie Wiles wants to ask if you're keen to illust- do an illustration for one of her stories." And uh, just as a reader, I had been reading everything she was writing with great interest. So, of course, I said yes. And then, pretty much within an hour or so, we were on the phone um, and started talking through what the first one that we did, which was the flatten the curve uh, kind of diagram, and that one obviously went sort of super huge almost immediately like within hours of us posting it um was was being shared all around the world and then you know the next day or a couple of days later the prime minister held it up and it was clear in the press conference and it was clear that it had had a it had a pretty massive impact for me i felt very that felt very quite sort of vindicating because i i have always felt that 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 this massive potential to to use visuals to to kind of explain concepts like that, especially kind of kind of quite abstract concepts. That that idea of flattening the curve is a thing that would be pretty hard to put into words, I think. Um, but seeing it and and seeing it in motion and seeing it sort of humanized, I put the little characters underneath. Um, I think made this complex idea make sense for a lot of people and quite quickly and in a way that you can say oh now I get it and I'll share this on and hopefully my mum who I was arguing with last night on the phone will get it straight away or whatever whatever um so it's clear there was heaps of potential there and I think the fact that that first one went so huge was very encouraging to both Susie and I and we basically just jumped into what what do we do next what do we do next and I think both of us were kind of in that mode of trying to do everything we could to to help um and yeah, in the sort of a mad scramble, we just kind of kept kept going from there. Yeah, that we you know, should should uh, thank the Science Media Centre who um, put in some funding to help us continue that uh, in that first month. Um, yep. Was was there a? <laughs> it must be a strange thing because you know I only had sort of you know I was adjacent to it, but not feeling the full heat of it like you and Susie were. But you know, during that period, it felt like. You know, you would encounter them multiple times any time you went onto social media, just being shared back to you, you know, from wherever in the world, like, you know, mm. the US or, or wherever. It was, it was a very strange sensation. 
has it ruined you? Like, like now when you put out just a regular piece of content, it's it's ordinary garden variety successful. Do you do you kind of still have that lingering after effect of of remembering that time when the whole world was was looking at your stuff? It's quite a surreal experience. It's actually it's not the first time that that had happened to me. I had kind of had that a few years earlier with an RNZ piece that I did called On a Plate, went went sort of super massive as well. Um, so I've had that experience before of like one thing going sort of phenomenally big and then everything else feels like a failure by comparison that doesn't sort of spread in entirely around the world. But you also know, I knew at that time, like I've had that experience and sort of been through that of knowing the other things, there's other things that I've done that are just as good as on a plate, I think, or, or, or just as interesting or just as valid. Um, I think it's healthy to try and separate out feeling the sort of feeling you, you can take the feelings of validation when people share things around as healthy to be, you know, encouraged by that. But you also can't, if, if something does, there's a thousand reasons something doesn't go viral that are nothing to do with whether or not it was good or not. There's so much, there's so much sort of timing and, and, and flukiness about, about what goes huge. Um, that I try not to let it mess with my head too bad when, when things don't, there's never going to be a situation where every single thing you make goes, goes that massive. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a can, can mess with your head. And then there's a sort of a point at the, at which the scale just becomes kind of a bit surreal and almost just becomes kind of funny, you know, like you start seeing, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds shares it or something. It's, it's just gets, it just feels bizarre at a certain point. That's just kind of I don't know. It's hard to um, hard to take it too seriously. It's like one of those um, numbers which breaks a graph. You know, like when, when the oil price goes negative and it, you just can't really look at it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. There's, there's only so much you can take from it. I think so. I mean, and one of the things that we've done subsequent to that is is set up Daylight Creative, which essentially kind of commodified the some of that work and yep. um you know which has been a really like pleasing thing that we both had kind of uh access to uh or you know sorry proximity to and yeah the thing that i've enjoyed most about it i guess is is a sense that you know i think for a long time we were probably both frustrated in our own way about the the sort of narrowness of ambition you know that um you know communication was you know within journalism it was stories of varying lengths and mm. and you know with within other sort of forms of you know corporate or government communication it was ads of varying lengths and yeah. you know what we've done with daylight is is sort of just just kind of try and be a bit more creative with that do do you think that the tide is starting to turn now you know with a maturing of the the big and now much more complex communications apparatus that you know organizations government individuals are starting to understand that there's more than one way to sort of skin the skin the cat yeah for sure and that's both sort of terrifying and and massively exciting as well like i before i was doing full-time comic work like i say there's that sort of 10-year period in between of me trying to trying to get a regular gig doing cartooning uh, and some of that time I worked in advertising and and that now is you know f 
seven, eight years ago or whatever, was very much the model was we have a 90-second TV ad, we have four billboards, we have some print ads and some magazines, we have a radio ad, and this is the plan. Like, that is how you that's how you get the word out about something. Um, and I love that that has changed. I think it's, it was so boring and, and kind of predictable, the, the, the old way. I think part of it is sort of the internet, part of it is the pandemic. Part of, like, there's lots of hundred reasons why, why that's happened, but the fact that now... Some of it is is born out of um, cost cutting, you know, like you can't afford to make a kind of a million dollar TV ad anymore in the same kind of way. But part of it is also just that people consume information in different ways in different places, and 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 aren't all sitting in front of the seven o'clock TV TV one like the way they used to be. And that's exciting to me. It means you reach reach broader communities, but it means also as a someone making the messaging, you get to um, you have to think a bit more creatively about what you're what you're saying and who you're saying it to and where you're saying it and all those things um, is cool and, and and has opened up the door for people trying to do something a bit different which I think we, we, we have been doing with, with, with Daylight. Do, do you think that it's it's funny right because it in some ways feels like a, as much as it's driven by the, the, the sort of the platforms which are you know now you know most of them are the biggest you know five or six seven companies in the world yeah. but the actual creativity of creation is very much bottom up bottom up and you know you been very very innovative with form but it feels like there are the fact that there are millions of people all you know wanting to do the same thing communicate widely every yeah. day and you see just the absolute breadth of that and the way that people can pop out of different communities and reveal things about those communities sort of worldview and sense of humor and so on and there's just this giant marketplace that's kind of constantly seething is in very fast motion that's really confronting yeah. to the sort of traditional orthodoxies but if you're sort of playing in or near that space, you know, if you have the right mentality, it can just be a, a lot of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like uh, we're not the giant agency that used to make the million dollar ad and we're not the teenager that is suddenly an absolute wizard editing video and can make a, make a hilarious video in 30 seconds and very instinctively and intuitively do that. We're probably somewhere, sit somewhere in the middle of those two things. We're both sort of users of the technology, but also people trying to make, make messaging. And it's, there's so much potential there. It's exciting to think of the, the potential there. I feel like it's cracked open and it's, you know, the sort of cards are off scattered and it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's there's opportunities there. I think both creatively and to and to you know ways to reach people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and yet, you know, we started this conversation talking about a book, which feels like on some level <laughs> yeah. the, the absolute yeah. Um, the yeah. opposite of of that content. Yeah. Having and and knowing how long this took, do do yeah. you do you have more in you, or is there a a project of any description? that sort of functions as as like a, a bit of an Everest for you that's got that sort of sort of faintly calling your name and that you think that you'll eventually have to go and address? Um, there's lots. I mean, I have like, I am, there's, there's so many things that if I had infinite, infinite time and, and, and energy that I would love to do, like I would love to make a animated TV series, you know what I mean? Like I would, I would love to do a, there's a series of books that is a sort of a vague idea that's been floating around a sort of a young adult, um, 
book series that I would like to do, but that's just, just the time. I just don't know when, when I get to do that. I'd love to, to, um, make more graphic novels, like sort of fictional graphic novels, but I just don't know when I'm having, <laughs> struggling to keep up with the, the workload that's on my plate at the moment, you know? Um, but that's fun too. Like, I mean, I've got, I feel like I have, what, probably 30 more years of doing this ahead of me. You know what I mean? There's going to be some twists and turns and some, try some different things. I don't want to be someone that, like I have never, I don't know, each to their own and there's different, different ways to approach a career, but I don't, I, I don't want to be a, the type of artist or the type of creator that just makes the same picture over and over again for the rest of their life. You know, like I want to try different things and I want to, um, want to keep experimenting with things and keep trying to progress and, yeah, not not make the same not make same product over and over again forever. Yeah, it, it's um, that that very much feels like it's sort of DNA level uh, to you. There, there definitely feels like there's some kind of an irony in that you spent ten years just trying to get one, basically one gig, and now you know a combination of, of technology and your own um, extraordinary work has has meant that you know the there is no shortage of opportunity. It's a matter of sequencing, uh, which yeah. which is the issue. Yeah. Yeah. One day. That's always one day. It'll come. All right. Um, thank you so much for that, Toby. That's, that's, uh, it's really cool to, to chat about this and, um, you know, maybe we can, uh, work on that animated series someday. <laughs> Cheers, man. That was heaps of fun. Thanks. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.